Take two. It's Kandashow's okay. Beetle Revolution. One, two, three, four. On iHeartRadio. Beatles podcast number 35. Ken Dasha, thanks so much for listening to all these. And I love the feedback. Please, you know, Q1043.com, keyword Ken. Let me know what you like, what you don't. Gotten some great ideas from you guys about future podcasts to go over the movies. I think that's a good one. Do Hard Day's Night, Help, uh, and do Magical Mystery Tour into Let It Be, which may or may not see the light of day remastered one more time. I like that idea. Lots of folks coming up to me at the Fest for Beatle fans saying that they listen all the time, and, you know, I enjoy doing it. My whole thing is I love talking to the musicians who were there either at the time or now and their take on the Beatles. No offense to authors, but writing about the Beatles versus a musician talking about the visceral experience of hearing the Beatles that's everything to me. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, Eddie Brigatti, lead singer of the Rascals. You know, who they were right there with them. People got to be free. It's a beautiful morning. Good loving. Oh, man, Rascals are great. And little Steven is producing Eddie Brigatti's show every month at the Cutting Room. It's a residency. He's got another show coming up in April. Cuttingroom.com for info on that. I learned so much from the Fest for Beetle fans this year. We did the uh, music forum, and Randy Bachman came for the first time. And for 10 years, I've been trying to get Randy to come to the Fest for Beatle fans. And timing doesn't work because he's not in New York a lot. He's a Canadian, and he's still up there in the Great White North, eh? So he came, but he's just such a Beatles geek, and he absolutely loved it. He said to me, it's one of the greatest times I ever had. Thanks for turning me on to it. And we shared the music, you know, and what it's like. The same, the one thing that runs through the whole thread, Billy J. Kramer, who is there, Mark Rivera, and the Beatles and Randy Bachman. You start as teen bands, you're not making a dime, but you're playing because you love to play. You're hoping for success. But as opposed to talent shows and winning The Voice or winning one of these instant fame, get-rich-quick schemes, you put in the hard work. You learn how to play. You learn how to write. So Randy always said, I went to school on Beatle records. Everybody always asked me, did you ever study music? Yes, I did. I bought Beatle records. He said, I didn't just buy them and listen to them. I'd sit with a guitar in my hand, listen and try to figure out each part. His son, Tal, who, by the way, had a huge hit single in 1999 called She's So High. He did it live at the festival. The place went nuts. And he said to me, I came home one day, and here's Tal as a teenager. He's got all my Beatles records out. And I, you know, when my heart starts again, I say to him, hey, what are you doing? And he said, Dad, I'm studying. Okay, that's a good reason to take out all my Beatles records, as it should be. And he said, you know, we learn how to write songs from listening to the best. And you take a little something that you get from them and turn it into your own. It's not, if you, if you steal, if you just do it exactly the same way, that's me stealing. If you get the idea and make it your own. Something I never knew or never realized until Randy said it to me on stage at the festival is that his lead guitar on Taking Care of Business is just John Lennon's leads on Get Back that were reversed. John plays those swampy blues leads over Paul's bass. Randy took it, reversed it. See, that's a way of take an idea and make it your own. And in, he's the one who pointed out they used to play When the Saints Go Marching In in Hamburg. So When the Saints Go Marching In turns right into I Saw Her Standing There. It's right there. You take what you've learned, you take what you can play, 
You take what you hear from other bands that you love and make it your own. And every single person shared that message. And that's what we try to do with the podcast of talking with everyone from Steve Winwood to John Lodge of the Moody Blues to Eddie Brigatti coming up. Tell us about the process, about how these amazing songs came to light and what they thought of the greatest songwriters of our time. You know, I kept thinking of that with the passing of Stephen Hawking, Dr. Stephen Hawking, who reimagined black holes in the cosmos of the universe, brief history of time, you know, how it all fits together. We live in the era of the Beatles and Dr. Stephen Hawking. It's like being with Galileo. It's like being with Gershwin. It's like being with people that change the entire scope of the world of how we think and how we feel. That's why here we are, 54 years later after they exploded on this scene in America, the Beatles are alive and well, thanks to you guys. And to a contemporary of theirs from the Rascals, and without further ado, from the Rascals, Mr. Eddie Brigatti, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. It's Thank a you. beautiful morning. It certainly is. So our mutual friend, little Stephen Van Zant, was one of the biggest Rascals fan in the world. He just yes. said, you know, the Beatles and the Rascals were everything, right? Yes. And these guys fought like cats and dogs <laughs> and sued each other and it wasn't happening. And he just beat them up and willed them to do a reunion show, to do that the thing off Broadway. And I loved it. I know it's it's a crazy band energy. It's Eddie. It's something that everybody's talked about. It came up here when even people say, "Why did the Beatles break up?" I think it's almost impossible for like bands to stay together for too long. You just wind up like living with each other every second and eating each other alive, isn't it? The obvious is the obvious. It's a it's a wedding. It's a marriage. It's a it's a you know when when you're children, you don't have the. Um, you just cooperate. You jump in the van and you do whatever's necessary to to uh, make this thing work. Right. To be uh, totally honest, a great deal of it has to do with management, and it, it's like in everything, everything else, uh, business or religion, whatever you want to, you know, uh, whatever endeavor life is. If you have uh, the proper uh, surroundings, and we were a phenomenon. We were organic, we were young. I was untrained. Felix had the, the most training, I think, uh, musically. And um, I was a street urchin. I followed my brother, David, from uh, Joey Dean and the Starlighters, and um, he was my mentor. And there was, there was never um, really a, a school to go to. There's no school of rock back <laughs> in those days. Right. And um, you're, you're influenced by your, I have an older brother, older sister, and uh, that influence comes um, through, through your um, teachings, your learning. Stephen said, what, what was your earliest music before Rascals? You know, what influenced you? And I went all the way back to my mother singing to me. Now, where'd you grow up? Garfield, New Jersey. It was um, about 11 miles west of Manhattan. And it was country, little country town back then. Right. And everybody from the Rascals was New York City sort of base, right? It was New York Central? Gene was born in uh, Canada and raised in Rochester. Dino okay. was from Jersey City. Jersey boys, half of us. And I was in Garfield and Felix was in uh, eventually Pelham. And uh, we knew each other. We went through this little choo-choo club in Garfield. And uh, I, I met Dino's band, uh, Ronnie Speaks and the Ale Rods. They were from down south there. <laughs> and I sat in for Ronnie Speaks. I think his mom passed, and I, I said, and Dino was always an, a phenomenal, I, I call him, painter. And uh, we met, and then Felix came through with the escorts. 
And uh, they were cousins of ours, so I was allowed to, underage, I was allowed to watch the, the Wednesday uh, free-for-all when they had free entertainment come and audition. And um, I would see these people and, and naturally gravitated to them. And my brother had fame of being uh, the Peppermint Twist. So we were an attraction, a sideshow, kind of. And, um, you know, you get bit with the, the rhythm and blues was our forte. That was really our... Now, infinite, what infinite. year is this? What, what year? Uh, 63. Right. I graduated high school in 63 and went on this uh, Joey D tour, my first tour. We went to Canada. And I, uh, I made my first uh, profit, the three-week uh, tour. I drove, and I was the valet in the opening act. <laughs> so I, I earned that $100. Of course. <laughs> so, but, um, and just, uh, I watched the Shirelles, and I was on the first, um, I, my first recording was, I was 15 years old, and I recorded on What Kind of Love Is This? I was the first tenor. Uh, you, you know, uh, it was uh, my introduction to the, getting the, the taste of the, the action. Right. And um, Dave was in an acapella group called the High Fives. There's, a, there's a, a, an amalgamation of music. So how do all these different bands come together to form the Rascals? We were attracted to each other, and we, re we rehearsed uh, one night in Felix's uh, father's basement, Mr. Cavalieri's basement, and uh, we, record, we rehearsed 25 songs, and the next day we had a job. Uh, no, I mean, don't be jealous. We made forty dollars a week, <laughs> each, each. The jukebox made more than we did. <laughs> do you everybody notice a theme from every artist that we've ever talked to about this? Randy Bachman was just up, a dear friend from Canada. <laughs> you know, his first band. They drove from Winnipeg, Canada, to New Orleans and back. Four hundred dollars. Everybody got a hundred bucks. And he said, "We didn't even. We we just knew. We didn't know how far it was. We just thought." Well, how far can it be? Not really having a sense of we'll buy a map when we get to the border. He said, everywhere we went, we got $400. So we just did it until we were broke, until we were good <laughs> enough to get, like, can we get more than $400? He said, and, but everybody tells that same story. Uh, you know, and what I see now from the singing competitions and things, instant fame, instant stardom, you're the biggest thing, and two years later, oh, that's it. It's the next next kid. But they've done, they haven't toured for 40 bucks. They haven't driven the van. They don't know how to fix the van. Every band, from Little Steven to you know to the Beatles, they used to fix the van because otherwise you weren't going to get to the gig. They had a van. Yeah, that, the reason <laughs> Mal Evans, the reason Mal Evans was there is he he had a van. You know why did Neil there? He he schlepped the gear. You know those are the, that's more important at that point. You know in your life when you're 16, 17, than anything else. You know I think starts you're you're in front of your grandfather's pool room. Right. And you're trying to make on, eye contact with every person that's passing the pool room. Does that, do they recognize me? Do they know I'm here? Because we had a little taste of my brother's fame. He was 17 years old. They had regional hits. One region was New Jersey. The other one was Hawaii. How weird is that? So he's, he's uh, uh, got the high fives of very famous in Hawaii. Ten years later, that's 58. Ten years later, we land with our hit. And they open the doors to the plane, and my brother's songs are playing. And it's like, okay, I belong here. Right. I was the teeny bopper king of Hawaii for, <laughs> I think, till two years ago. <laughs> they found out. They saw a picture of me in New Jersey, and they found out. Eddie Brigatti is my guest. And the reason he's here is that, produced by Stephen Van Zandt, there's a residency at the cutting room. 
and playing what about every month or so for hopefully as long as they let me in i'll be there next show thursday april 5th 7 30 p.m you're going to sing rascals hits and you're singing yes. standards too yes Steve, really steven um and maureen steven did the most wonderful production of rascal material in the history when he did the Broadway, you know, the Broadway show, and Once um, Upon a Dream, right? Once Upon a Dream, spared no expense. He's, he's, I call him a ten, I call him ten star human beings, and um, he proved it. He proves it. He's uh, all around um, music perfectionist, infectionado. He's, he's really been uh, my mentor between him and Maureen, and um, he produced this show. He wrote it. He produced it. He's. Uh, He's an incredible person. He's, he, I'm humbled to be in his company. Um, the more you learn about him, the more you realize that he's, he, he does civic uh, uh, social uh, media. He does all these things. He, he's, he's, he's always out there for women, children, uh, super education. He's got this thing in um, Count Basie Theater, the Rocket yep, uh, Foundation. Part of that. I'm part of it. I've been allowed to be on on the board. And incredible uh, children, um, they have something that we didn't have. They have mentors, and that we go there and encourage them. And all of a sudden, they're picking up four or five instruments. They 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 retain it all. They're pure. They don't overplay. Right. Um, they, they play as well as a majority of of adults that I know. And but they behave better. <laughs> Well, there's just a, when you talk about management and mentors, there's a remarkable connection that the man who brought the Beatles to America to Carnegie Hall and booked them at Chase Stadium, Mr. Sid Bernstein, may he rest in peace, also managed Amen. a band called the Rascals. True, true. Tell He's, me what. Tell me about Sid. Well, he he we met him out in uh, Long Island at the barge, and that, that his actual words were, "You kidnapped him." I remember he told me he said, "I want you to see a band." It's just in Queens, and he drove for two hours. They kidnapped poor Sid and drove him out to the ass end of Long Island. The truth is that <laughs> we took him to a restaurant. <laughs> he knew every number one place in the world. Egg Creams, that's of 86th course. Street, you know, the best pizza downtown on the left. Right. And so he would give you directions by saying, you go off to the delightful <laughs> coffee shop, you make a left, you go past the Brasserie restaurant, and you know that's how he would get around town. <laughs> He was a, a, a beautiful person. Um, you know, he was in in the history of the whole thing. It was uh, the the word keeps coming up. It was an organic meeting. There was you know, it was just a happenstance of people getting together, protecting themselves, defending themselves, and creating. We created. I think we did um, seven albums in five years, and they said we were lazy. <laughs> really. <laughs> Really, and really, you can't, you know, when I look at the history of it, um, it, was, it was an organic, it, it was a, a real beautiful um, collective cooperative venture. And then later on, it becomes a business, and, um, you know, it, it takes its toll. But we lasted longer than most groups. We lasted five years. And yeah, which is saying something. When you think of the hits, how can I be sure? It's a beautiful morning. You know, good love and just these amazing, amazing songs that came out of this sort of mm -hmm. cauldron of. But it's about great writing, great singing, and you guys wrote your own yes. songs. Now that's the big thing about the Beatles that the whole world was the Brill Building. They wrote songs, and then you gave them to some handsome guy, and he sang them. And to me, the Beatles changed that. And here, suddenly in America, you know, Paul Simon 
or Carol King are people who write songs. Mm-hmm. Not you would never have a short Jewish kid from Queens actually perform them with his friend. Neil you Sedeca. Have, Neil right. Sedeca. If I suddenly Sedeca. all these amazing set, Randy Newman, all these people who write get to play because the playing field changes. Now you have to write your own songs, and you guys could write. Self-contained, and Stephen had a compliment. He said, uh, your, your work never went dark. You guys did, but your work didn't. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good but point. He, it, it's, it's true, but it's just a matter of, um, there, were, there were no time off. There was no, you know, there was no real nurturing of the, the, the unit. And after a while, it, it, instead of getting clearer and clearer, it became more... And almost every band tells me the same story, Eddie. Every tour, make an album. Tour, make an album. Tour, make an album. And he said, and you realize you don't exist anymore. You're just this entity that tours and makes albums. And we hopefully you're making money or it's stolen, but you, you don't even know who you are anymore. Almost everybody truly said, if we could have taken a break halfway yes. and just stopped. Re- refit everybody. Right. He said, yeah. I know this band could have continued. When I tell you, a hundred bands told me that story. There's, this, 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 this a false desperation imposed by, unfortunately, management or lack of management, poor management or no management all at the same time. And uh, you don't know that. You're not. You're, of course. I was 19 years old. Right. I was my first time I was washed up. I was twenty four, <laughs> and I, every every once in a while I keep washing up on the beach, and they go. So now I'm going to wash up at the cutting room, and it, it, you know it's it's something about being an. I'm almost an adult. I do a clean adult material, and um, it's something about things that I always wanted to be. We, you know, we're singers, and uh, you know Johnny Mathis was my favorite singer. I'm not going to compete with him, right? And now that uh, you know Frank Sinatra's gone, I'm. I'm brave enough to sing two three of his songs but it's uh, uh maureen offered and i didn't know she she offered these things but it was all the broadway songs and i said i can't i'm not i won't i'll never i shouldn't i mean i did them and i love them awesome so we're getting the american songbook and we're getting rascals hits it's just as the beatles are singing about love these guys have the freedom suite a very simple song people got to be free that it's was- a pop song it's very straightforward it's one of the most beautiful songs and it's of the moment you know it's the intention of it was it's not it wasn't a protest song it was a very strong heavy suggestion people got to be free i mean that's that's a very very simple it can't be any other answer true you know so i have to ask you i believe now i'm not sure about this this is sort of rock and roll urban myth were you sitting in the dugout (laughs) at shea stadium when the beatles played on, on stage and Sid Flash the rascals are coming on um, this on the board yeah they didn't like that too much so tell me what you thought you're you're sitting in the dugout watching the Beatles from the field first of all you can't hear the Beatles or anybody ah! you just hear and I say I want that <laughs> I want that I want to be screamed over right and we did I think our last concert was there was it Jay yeah I, I believe so really yeah I, I'm the only one I cut my hair put my knickers on. There's another story underlying the whole thing, but it doesn't it doesn't exceed the joy and the, the creative uh, uh, end result of right. the music. Music, music is your breath. Music is your your whole motivation in life. It's about momentum. It's about uh, sharing. It's about cooperating, and uh, it's hard to do. It's hard right. to do, but it's when when it's right. There's nothing like it. But 
here's the thing is you're writing these amazing songs and your contemporaries are the Beatles at the exact same time. And here's the British invasion and American music and artists are being pushed to the side for the Beatles, the Stones, the Kinks, the Who, and everybody's coming in. Was there a sense of, damn it, we got to, you know, we, why, why are we being pushed to the side? What was your take on the Beatles? When, well, let me start here. When did you first hear them? What did you first we hear? We buck, 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 bucked them. We bucked them over. My brother was at the Peppermint Lounge, and I think that's when they they first broke. Yeah. And they were in, they were in Europe, and, and Joey D went to Europe and said, uh, Larry from the, the uh, uh, Larry Veneri from the uh, Joey Dean Starlight has said to the Beatles at the Star Club in Germany, if you ever come to America, give us a call and see what we could do for you. Aww. And they came to America and flew right over our town <laughs> and right into, and, and um, you know, the, the phenomenon, you know, she, they broke it loose. They were, I think their phenomena was that they were copying our rhythm and blues which they were rhythm and blues is very, very, very important in my in my life, and the other thing is that they had a classic background. Uh, you know, they had their their school was classic, and we had jazz, American music, rhythm and blues, the amalgamation, all the all the the uh, the collection, the melting pot, and we had that, and it's you know we're we're really the wild west still till today. Right. Hey. Honest answer. I mean, there's obviously this competition. Everybody wants to succeed. But was there resentment from all the British bands that were hitting the charts? Who cares? Oh, you mean from us? Yeah. From our point of view? You never know you're going to be famous. You don't know you're going to be... You know, I didn't know I was going to be here in 2035 or wherever. <laughs> you don't know you're going to be famous. Yeah, you, yeah. You're a kid, and, you know, as far as you're concerned, you know, I'm still figuring out uh, what am I going to... How am I going to earn a living when I grow up? Right. Me too. Guess what? <laughs> really? Oh, and, and now I'm starting to grow up and I'm going, you better pay attention. You know, listen to Steven. Right. Yeah. The, the music that you recorded in that period changed the world. It's something that Steven has said to me all the time. And I repeat it over and over is that this was a renaissance of commercial art that happens once maybe in a hundred years, like the Medici's in, in Italy, that if you think about the movies, the music, the books being written, Catch-22, The Godfather, think about The Graduate. M these movies, books, and songs really did change culture, change the world, change uh, styles, and change the way the average person thought. Can I add something that, that I think is very important, is that we weren't competing with groups. When we used to do rock and roll shows at the, the Brooklyn Fox, my brother was backstage and 15 groups come on and, you know, yeah. we're in back, we're in the, their, their room singing backgrounds, telling jokes, scoring on each other, you know, and, and, and I'm watching this whole thing. Like, I want this. I want, I'm in it. I'm in. And I think music is a, is a cooperative thing, whether you're listening to it or supporting it or creating it. It's cooperative. When the other people get to it, it becomes a competition. Yeah. And that's not the essence of music. Music is a mother. Music is for everybody. And then people go, no, that's a genre here. No, turn the page. That's the old one. That's an eight track. That, you know, you're, and I'm going, no, it's no. Music. It's about me trying to talk to you. That's what this whole thing is about. Come and see the show, and you see me blabbering on. You know, it's all about, it's all about uh, you know, I'm trying to communicate 18 stories in my story. Stephen wrote a wonderful, wonderful song for me called Eddie's Song. And what I'm trying to do is, is, is be a soft, intimate, 
not chasing a train. Uh, rock and roll. I, I was on that train, and and um, I, I made a wonderful uh, success. I supported my family. Uh, they still let me come home. <laughs> they still love me. But uh, I think the whole thing about it is that you mature, and you don't always have to be the loudest, craziest person in the room. Right. But I will be. But you know, it's <laughs> just what you said. It's about heart. From the biggest names, from from Paul McCartney. To Bono and you too, to Eddie Brigatti, you know, to a kid in the subway who's playing right now. Are you putting your heart into it? And if I see you giving it everything you got with a kid with his hat open, I always throw a buck in because he's trying. Yes, you know, because I see. If we, it's a matter. Are you showing off or are you singing from your heart? Because when you do that, that's the magic. Whether it's the cutting room or it's it's Shea Stadium, it's. It's a spectacular moment, and that's what you still do. Eddie Brigatti at the Cutting Room, uh, Thursday, April 5th, the next show. Just go to the Cutting Room Grad Tickets, and it's a residency that you guys are doing. Looking back on it, here we are. We're, it's 50 years since Sgt. Pepper, 51 years mm-hmm. now this year. Can you believe that this – they stopped touring, right? They fired the Beatles as you knew them. They're not touring. They're not the Mop Tops. They make an album that 51 years later is still like – an album that that hits the mark it'll be in the world's history as long as there's a world and probably beyond because i i'm a i'm a i'm a believer that we come from something bigger and we're going back there uh but not today amen to that. <laughs> yeah it's 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 here it's here now i tell children you have it you brought it you bring it you own it it's not out there don't let anybody ever talk you out of that. Beautiful. We, Eddie Brigatti, thank you so much for joining us here at Q104. Thank you, Ken. It's my honor and pleasure. And thank you to all the people and all the fans that uh, support us. And uh, maybe we'll see you at the Cutting Room. Uh, April 5th, next show at the Cutting Room. Be there. Stephen and Maureen will be there. Ken Dash will be there. Yes. Eddie Brigatti is going to be there. Thank you. Thank you.